Well, good morning, Forest View. Thank you so much for joining us. It's so good to see you. Uh, before we get down to business, uh, getting into our Now What, now what series, uh, I want to kick it off with two important things just want to say off the top. Uh, number one, uh, we, Julie, my wife and I, we sold our house in Kitchener, Waterloo. Uh, it was our pleasure about a month ago, Resurrection Sunday, to be able to tell you that we'd bought a house in Burlington, and now we've gone through the next step of selling our house in Kitchener, and so we are that much closer to being here. The move, the closing date is July 21st, so we are just incredibly excited about that. Um, it's, it's been an interesting experience, especially this past month. We uh, Selling a house during lockdown, during COVID, has been an interesting challenge in and of itself, uh, but, but one of the things that has been really significant for us is just all of the support and help that we have received from the Forest View community. All of your prayers, uh, those of you who were able to actually come out even before the lockdown, but come out and help us, whether it was packing stuff up or helping make our house look beautiful. Some of you came and helped us out with making our yard look presentable. All these different ways in which people have come and, and just we walk through our house and we are relieved and excited about the fact that we've sold it and it's sold for a really good price. But as we walk around, we just see the generosity and the care that we have received from the Forest View community as we look through our house, and it just makes us smile all the time. So thank you, all of you who have been praying for us and supporting us. Thank you so much, staff team here at Forest View who has been pulling on, uh, just carrying extra weight as I've had to take time off to go and get our family ready for, to get the house on the market. Um, and just so thankful that we are just that much closer to being present in the Forest View area. Uh, the other thing that obviously want to talk about is simply, it's Mother's Day. And this is a day that for some of us, it, it, there's all sorts of great feelings that well up with inside us when we think about this day. Um, it's a day that brings up all sorts of tough and difficult feelings for some. It's a day that I often feel really, really difficult about how do we address this as a church. There's a part of me that goes, the Mother's Day is not on the church calendar, therefore it is not something we need to acknowledge as a church, and yet it is a day that our culture sets aside to, to go, hey, we need to remember our moms. And so this year, uh, and, and like other years, we just want to start up from a place of realizing that for some of you, this is a great, wonderful day. It's breakfast in bed, or it's whatever it is. It's great, and we just celebrate that. Uh, for some of us, uh, we realize this day is hard. Uh, we realize there are people that this day, um, it, it's not a celebration day. It's a day of disappointment. It's a day of just making the losses that they've experienced is that much more real. Uh, we think of the women within our community and within our lives who maybe have never experienced motherhood, uh, who desperately wanted that. And so this day brings up all sorts of things, whether it's uh, infer infertility or miscarriages or the loss of a child. Uh, we think of those within our community who have walked through that or are walking through that. Um, and at the same time, we also acknowledge there are some moms in our community who have strained or difficult relationships with their children, or there's children who have strained or difficult relationships with their mom. And so we mourn and we grieve with all of you today. Uh, we also want to acknowledge that we are a part of this incredible countercultural movement called the church. And one of the, the driving convictions of this movement, of this community, 
is that yes, biological, legal families, they're wonderful and beautiful and can be a great gift from God, but they are not the defining community and network of relationships in our life. That rather, we found ourselves united by God's spirit into this radical family called the church. And so the moms and dads are not just simply people who are there because of their biology. It's not an issue of paternity. It is an issue of those who are spiritual mentors in our lives. And so this morning, not just celebrating the biological and legal moms within our community, we want to acknowledge and celebrate the spiritual mothers who have nurtured us in faith, who who have challenged us to be apprentices of Jesus and who model that for us. And so to all of those spiritual moms who make up our community, thank you. Well, before we dive into our text, the best place for us to start is prayer. So won't you join me? Gracious and heavenly Father, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. So we pray that you would lead us and guide us this morning into your truth. We pray that your light would shine deep into our hearts. That it would give us a better and richer understanding about who we are. The parts of us that, that, that are in sync with your heart. And at the same time, that it would illuminate the parts in us that have to die. The parts that we need to leave behind. That we might become more like you and to live out your love and mission in this world. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Well, for the past month, we have been walking through this series simply called, Now What? And as many of us are starting to dream or imagine what life looks like on the other side of lockdown, what life looks like on the other side of COVID-19 pandemic, We don't know how far away that is, but we're dreaming about it and imagining it. And we start to ask the question to ourselves, now what? What is life supposed to look like on the other side of all of this? We find ourselves at this transitional moment. And rather than looking at our culture or looking inward at our own desires to to help shape and navigate and lead us as we start to establish what our new normal and what our new life looks like. Instead, we want to go back to the early church, to the first Christians, because for them, they were faced with a world-altering experience when they encountered the resurrected Jesus. And they realized that life cannot continue to go on like it did before. They were faced with a giant, now what question. What does life look like in the light of the resurrection? And their answer is one that we want to use and and adapt and draw into ourselves and to shape who we are and who we desire to become. 
Our key text that we've been looking back throughout this series is found in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. We've been picking pieces apart from this to kind of lead us and guide us and to look at the answers to the now what question that the first Christians had and seeing how those shape our response to Christ's resurrection today in our lives. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open it up to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 46. Let's look at that passage right now. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Go to the next slide. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Approximately 2,000 years ago, there was this radical counter-cultural group that emerged. This, this group, they were viewed as outsiders, outside of the mainstream of Judaism, the, the part of the world in which they kind of saw themselves as a part of. They were deemed weird and strange and different from everyone else. A few just descriptions of them. They, they were a community that began with a call of repentance and they practiced ritual washing. They renounced their passions and celebrated self-control and personal purity. They devoted themselves to the study of the Hebrew scriptures. They took on new members to their group and they would embrace them as a family member. They shared all of their possessions in common and had little to do with money. They viewed the temple and the priestly class as corrupt and they had no need for them. And they believed that mainstream Judaism was corrupt and would face judgment. This group of people, of course, that I'm talking about are the Essenes. I know what you thought there. I was going to say Christians. But no, this was another group that existed parallel with the first Christians. In fact, they shared a lot in common. There are many scholars who believe that many of John the Baptist's first followers may have been Essenes, coming to check out what he was preaching and proclaiming as he called Israel to this place of repentance to leave behind their old way and the corrupt religious system and to go and to follow God and return to the faithfulness to, um, to Yahweh. Uh, a quick picture, the Essenes, they, they saw the corruption in their culture around them. They saw the temple, which they believed was leading people astray and that the religious elite who oversaw it had totally gone off the rails and were no longer following God. And so they decided to move and they started their own community. Essentially, they built their own compound east of Jerusalem, essentially separated by a wilderness. And they went out, this is actually the remains of that today, and they would go out there, they had lot, there was a stream that would go through, and they had all sorts of different baths that they would wash themselves in and bathe themselves in. They, they were really obsessed with that. They were like kind of the original germaphobes. They would have fit in perfectly for, with all of us about 
well, I don't know, it feels like 10,000 years ago, but it was last March and April when all of us were just purelling all the time. And we would leave like those antibacterial wipe containers just open like Kleenex, just constantly using those. I mean, this is, these people, they, would, they wanted to keep themselves pure and separate from the rest of the world. And they went to great lengths to do it. Their entire goal was separation. In fact, we knew very little about them. They've been referenced in about three different historians from around that particular time. Uh, and it wasn't until a, uh, a boy was wandering around in the fields um, about seven in the 70s, and he fell into a cave, go to the next slide, and discovered something that we call the Dead Sea Scrolls. These are actually some of the caves that they found, these just collections of scrolls of writings. So many of them are different writings from the Old Testament, uh, but they also have all sorts of communal writings talking about what it meant to be a part of the Essene community and what it meant to be pursuing what God really was about. They referred to themselves as the sons of light and the rest of Judaism as the sons of darkness. They shared a lot of similarities with the first Christians. And while there are certainly some significant differences as well, it is interesting that you had these two different groups side by side. Our passage today we are looking at is verse 46, actually the first part of 46. And I highlight the Essene community community because I think that it is incredibly significant and it helps bring to the surface just how profound and unique the now what question is answered by the Christian community. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. That's all we're going to focus on today. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. You can go to the next slide. Now, why is this significant? Well, first off, the question maybe we should ask is why shouldn't they have gone and met in the temple courts? Why not go to the temple courts? Well, first off, just let me show you. This is the temple. This is an image. Well, it's not the actual temple. This is a, a, uh, a reconstruction. It's a model. Um, and you can actually go see this and uh, see this in Israel today. And they have a model. You can go and look at it. And so this is, this is just a picture, a snapshot of what the temple was like. So here technically is the temple, but then there was all the temple mount and there was all sorts of things happening. These were called the courts of the Gentile. And so you could go and you could hang out there and talk. And so people would gather there and there'd be interesting teachers and they would go and have discussions about God and about what it meant to follow and live in faithfulness to God. And so the Christians, they would gather and go to this place and hang out in the temple courts. And the question we want to ask is, well, why were they going here? Now, the question we could probably start with asking is, well, why not? And the quick answer is there's two. One is that it is dangerous. Now, remember, Jesus has just been put to death ultimately by the Romans, but he was brought there. He was essentially placed into the Romans' hands by the religious elites, by the priests, and by the temple chiefs, those who were overseeing, or sorry, the temple guards, those who oversaw the running of the temple, who oversaw the religious life for all of Israel. And so right there, you are this group of followers, your Messiah, your leader, your, your person you look up to, your rabbi, he has been put to death by the people who run this thing, the very people who make this institution happen. You can imagine 
maybe we shouldn't just go and show up there. That maybe if we're going around proclaiming a message about this person that you killed, he's actually been, he's risen back to life, he's alive. You can imagine they're thinking, uh, well, that's probably not the safest thing to do. So that's one reason why. It was dangerous. It was not a safe place for the first Christians to go. The second reason is, is that they really didn't have a lot of use for the temple. I mean, they, they no longer saw that the authority that the temple had. Jesus, throughout his ministry, had spoken at various different times critically about the religious elite in, in that time. He, he had, at different times, talked about how he, in fact, was actually the true, uh, the true place where, where heaven and earth met, that, that in him, that, that there, that's where you would go to receive forgiveness of sins, that it was in him, not through the temple process. He even had words where he, or phrases where he would say things like, you can destroy this temple, but in three days it will rise again, equating himself as having the same significance, if not more significance than the temple itself. So for the first Christians, it was like, well, this is kind of an archaic mode of connecting with God because through Jesus, we now know that we don't need the temple anymore. And so again, we return to that question why the temple? Uh, Luke chapter 24, verses 50 and 53. Uh, when he had led them out to the, this is Jesus, after he's resurrected, he's appeared to his disciples. And this is essentially how the gospel of Luke ends. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple praising God. Now you can imagine this experience. Jesus' disciples, he was dead. Now he's alive. He spent time with them, and they've watched him ascend up to the Father where he sits at the right hand of God, ruling and interceding on their behalf, and that one day he will come again and ultimately judge all of creation. We need to go to the temple, right? And we need to be there continually. It's kind of like, it just, for me, it just strikes me as so strange that they stayed continually at the temple. For, for many of us, it's, it's kind of like, what, it doesn't happen so much anymore, but after athletes would win their championship and the person would go, what's next for you? And they'd always say, Disney World. And you always want to be like, you're a grown man or woman. Why are you wanting to go like Disney World? That, okay, that's an interesting choice. So, so back to Acts chapter two, verse 46, our key verse for today. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Well, we talked about all the reasons why they shouldn't go there. Why should they go there? Why, as you read through the book of Acts, do we find event after event after event taking place in the temple courts? Well, it's quite simple. That's where most of the people were. And if you had a message you wanted to share, if you had a message that people needed to hear, the place that you go is you don't retreat out to the wilderness. You don't build your own little compound off on your own and do your own thing. No, you, you charge into the temple court, no matter what danger or risk is, goes with it, and you go and you proclaim a message. Two things that I think are really important to just take away from this specific verse that are easy to miss on first reading. 
Number one is that the, the words, they continued. It's actually the word devotion. And so it's the same thing that you would see actually that we saw, that we looked at in our first sermon from this series when we talked about they devoted themselves to, um, to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. So, so this is, essentially you could translate this as every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple courts. I mean, this was something that they made a priority. It was important to them. This wasn't just an add-on for like, oh, when they felt like it, when it was easy or when it was convenient for them. This was now, this is an important message that people need to hear. The second word that I want to draw your attention, attention to is the word together. Now, this is a strange word. It's actually a combination of two different Greek words into one. And it carries with it kind of the first part of that is this word together. But then the second part of it is this idea of passion or wrath. Uh, another way we could say it is like energy. It's a word that's used sometimes in the positive context throughout the New Testament and sometimes in a negative context throughout the New Testament. So at various different times, you will he- read this, you'll read about the church, the, the first Christians doing things together. And so it communicates that they were united in a desire and a passion, that there's this unity and this flow working through them, in them, toward, working towards a shared goal. Uh, and then sometimes it's used in a negative way, not specifically about the first Christians, but in other places, even in the book of Acts, uh, where it will talk about a riot breaking out. Or a bunch of people getting very angry at someone else. Both times it's used, it suggests this unifying, the bringing together. Uh, this, uh, sometimes it's translated with one accord. And it suggests agreement and unity. And so every day they devoted themselves to going together, to meeting together, to being together in the temple courts. Now, at the same time, they were meeting in one another's homes. They were meeting in all sorts of different places. But for whatever reason, they knew that they all needed to be together out in the shared places in their world. Uh, skipping ahead, Acts, uh, or sorry, so what it, why is that? And I think we get that answer as we go back and we read Jesus' final instructions or the calling and vocation that he places upon his followers before he ascends to heaven. It says this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. Key word I want to highlight is witnesses. You're going to show, you're going to proclaim this good news this message to the world. We actually hear this just laid out very clearly in Acts chapter 5, verse 42. Here's what it says. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never, they being the first Christians, never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. They went to the temple courts, not because it was convenient and not because it was safe or not out of some sort of religious obligation that somehow they needed to go to be at the house of God. They did it because they had good news that they needed to proclaim. 
that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the saving one, and they needed to tell everybody. They needed to show everybody. And that's what drove them there. I think often, sometimes we think about being a Christian, about, about following Jesus and about being a part of this community called the church, that, that it's about being a part of a group that you go to to be together with. And while that's certainly something great and wonderful and we want to celebrate, you can actually go to the next slide. I'll just word it this way. Oh, maybe not. All right. Well, it doesn't matter. Okay, we can skip over that. What I will say, oh, here we go. The church is more than a group you go to be together with. Now, the church is a community and we want to be sharing our lives together. And again, as things start to open back up, we are excited to be in each other's homes or if we can't be in each other's homes, backyards or front yards or public spaces where we can be together and to be sharing with one another and spending time with one another. That is certainly part of what the first Christians did, but it didn't end there. For them, it wasn't simply about being together. They didn't just go to be together, go to the next slide, or the church is more than a group. The church is a group you go with together. The church is not just simply a group or a community that you go to. It is a group or a community that you go with. That we have been called and sent out into the world to live as witnesses, to proclaim the good news of who Jesus truly is. That through the resurrection, he has been declared by God to be the Messiah and the saving one. And that in him there is forgiveness of sins and in him is life everlasting. And hey, if you commit your life to serving him and following him, there is no better life you could ever experience. So, so why do we need to do this together? Why does this happen? Well, uh, this is something I shared about a year ago, uh, actually a little over a year ago when I started here, but I, if your life, if your mind is anything like mine is, uh, you probably have forgotten what life was like back then because uh, it just feels so long ago. This is from a psychological study, and I found this really interesting. I want to share it with you. Essentially, they, these, these researchers, they wanted to find out the, the impact of how easily people will go along with what other people are doing. And so they did this experiment where they brought in one person, actually they brought a group of people together. One person was actually the person they were testing. The rest of the group was simply there to, uh, to, they were all set up. They knew exactly what their response was going to be. And what they would do is they would go to the next slide. They would show a bunch of lines on a screen. They would essentially have the X line. And then they would ask the room, they'd ask everybody in the room and they would say, okay, what, which line does this one equal? Now, I'm assuming this looks all right going out on, on the world of the internet. Uh, you'd say X, well, clearly line B is the line that it looks the most like. It's obvious, these were not meant to trick people. Uh, but what they would do is they would set up the rest of the room to all say, I think it's A. And they would have everyone, I think it's A, I think it's A, I think it's A. And then it would get to the person who wasn't in on the experiment and they found that a very, very high percentage of the time, somewhere between 70, 80%, the person would go along with the rest of the room. That even though they knew the answer was B, they would say, oh, yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's A. Yeah, I think A too. 
That's what I think. For whatever reason, we as humans, we are wired in such a way that we are tempted to not stick out, to not be different, and we will go along with what everyone else is doing. Now, go to the next slide. An interesting thing that they did in their study, as as the study progressed, they said, well, what would happen if we introduced one other person into the room who would go along or would actually also would say the correct answer? And so it wasn't just the test subject who was coming in, but they had one other additional person there who was going to say the correct answer, even though the rest of the room was going to say the wrong answer. And what they found was, is that when that other person was added to the room, when there was that other person who would look at the rest of the, look at that situation and go, no, no, you guys are crazy. X is clearly meant to be, is the same as A. It is definitely not B. Or even they didn't have to say that. They just gave the right answer and then to an overwhelming percentage, in fact, I think it was like 99.9, I don't think there was, I don't know what the margin of error was on it, but they essentially said that no, this is what we see happen, is that that presence of one other person in the room who, who was speaking truth made all the difference. Can you go to the, the next slide? Actually, go to the next one after that. This is a quote from uh, one of the psychologists working with the experiment. The presence of one support depleted the majority of the press pressure. I would argue that's why we need to be intentional as followers of Jesus to go into the different places, the different, whether it's our schools, whether it's our sports teams, whether it's our uh, whatever it is, choirs or, or gyms or, or just different places that we are going to find ourselves going is don't go alone. Bring someone else along with you and go with intentionality. Go to be a witness to the reign of Jesus in this world. Go to the next slide. The church is more than a community you go to be together with. Next slide. The church is a community you go with together. In the ancient world, there was the Essenes. They they, cut themselves off. They went and did their own thing. They, they completely distanced themselves from the rest of society. They looked at Israel and they said, those people are corrupt and going the wrong way. Essentially, they're going to hell in a, hasp- hell, hell in a handbasket. We're going to remove ourselves and just enjoy the show. And the first Christians, they too went, you guys are going the wrong way. This is destructive. You're off the path. But for them, it wasn't about retreating and doing their own thing. For them, they entered into it and said, no, 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 this is, a, this is the place we need to be because there is a message we need to share. There is, there is good news that needs to be proclaimed. I would argue that many of us as Christians today in practice, while belief-wise, we might share most of the same beliefs as the first Christians, in practice, our lives look a lot more like the Essene community. We retreat, we pull away, and there's nothing wrong with certain things that you need to have in your life. It's great there's Christian schools, and it's great that there's Christian music, and it's great that you read Christian magazines or Christian bookstores. It's not to to, to demean these things or put these things down, but rather the invitation is for us to say, hey, where are the places where people need to hear good news, and let's go towards those places. 
as we find ourselves now entering into the now what questions post-pandemic, when things start to open back up, and there is going to be this incredible excitement on all of our parts to be able to get back to life where we can be together again. And there will undoubtedly be text messages and phone calls and emails just simply saying, let's get together. But I think the challenge that the first Christians present to us and their devotion to be of one mind and to go to the temple is for us not simply to say, hey, let's get together, but also to challenge us to say, let's go together. Let's go to our sports teams. Let's, let's have families that get together. Your son's playing soccer. Your daughter's um, is playing baseball. Whatever it is, get together with another family that's Christians and say, hey, let's go and let's make a difference on this sports team together. Uh, maybe it's your CovCom is focusing on a specific neighborhood and going, hey, let's go and let's be present in this neighborhood together and let's go and proclaim and live as witnesses to the reign of Jesus here and there. Uh, maybe it's in a workplace. Uh, maybe you work at the place with another Christian and it's something you need to do to connect together and say, hey, let's go back to work together. We're working from home when we get to start going back to the office and say, what do we want life to look like now that we're getting back together? Maybe it's meeting together to pray for your, your business or your company or your workspace or your school or whatever it is. That as we get to leave our dorm rooms and our houses and wherever else that we find ourselves and we enter back into these spaces, let's go together. Our invitation is, is that we have such good news to share and to proclaim. And sometimes it is challenging and sometimes we want to just, ah, it'd be so much easier if we just didn't talk about this. And yet, we're called and we're invited to connect with others, to link up with other believers, with other Christians, other apprentices to Jesus, and to say, hey, this is what we're called to. As you begin to ask the question, let's get together, let's also ask that question within our own community here, to our friends, to, to the people who live in proximity to us, the people we play on sports teams with. And, and, and let's be intentional and just simply go, what would it look like if we were to be a community that didn't just get together, but said, let's go together.